I think one of the things that you'll notice on it is you are God's temple. And I want you to hold on to that and hold that thought in your mind throughout this morning as I talk to you uh, through this passage that we've read. Now, I approach the, the lectern with fear and trembling this morning. And the reason is this, is that this is the gospel passage that has been, is being preached everywhere in the world probably today. And if you've been coming to church as long as I have been coming to, which is about 44, 45 years, I've heard the same passage over and over and over again every year because Palm Sunday is the time when you read this passage from either John or, or, or Mark. Uh, so, you know, my thoughts this morning are that I need to do something that you probably will be able to take away with you. And when you are training to do talks, one of the things that you do is people tell you, it's context, my friend. Bring it into context. And, you know, I've heard the word spoken three times. Context, context, context. Like the economy, the economy, the economy. You remember Bill Clinton saying that. And then, you know, our education minister once said, education, education, education. So this morning is about context, context, and context. And I've taken that literally. So this morning, I'm going to look at context in three ways. The immediate context, the wider context, and the grand context of what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing here this morning. So the immediate context in, of this passage is this, that the, Jesus has been in Bethany and Bethpage, and if you will recall, it's Lazarus country. It is where Lazarus lives, and it is a place where Lazarus was raised from the dead. It's also the place on the route when Bartimaeus was healed, he got his sight again, and there was a transformation. So I'm going to be looking at transformation. I'm sure you all still are holding on to this booklet that you had a while ago, and we all worked through transformed lives. So what I'm going to be looking at is transformation from a physical to spiritual transformation from spiritual death to spiritual life transformation so it is about transformation so the immediate context is this it's bethany it's beth page and jesus is coming from there and he's got a crowd coming together with him and this crowd is a partisan crowd who've actually witnessed the resurrection the coming to life of Lazarus, and they are absolutely jubilant because they now have really sent a very strong, worrying signal to the temple, the high priest. And, you know, the message there is, look at this. Now all of them are beginning to follow him because of Lazarus. So here is a crowd with Jesus coming on, on the way as he's walking towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, who have witnessed Lazarus' resurrection, and they are people who are excited. They are the people that are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, because they have seen this miracle happen. There is also the other partisan crowd on the other side, the rent-a-mob crowd that the, the high priest and his gang have, have rented, and they are going to shout later on, crucify, crucify, crucify him. So on this side, 
we have a real people who witnessed a miracle, whose lives have been transformed, and they are now in the crowd with Jesus, going towards the temple, towards Jerusalem, and shouting, Hosanna. They have seen it. They have witnessed it. And the worry is, to the temple is more people are now going to believe Jesus' message because of Lazarus. So let's do something special here. Kill Jesus and let's also kill Lazarus. Because we don't want this testimony to go anywhere else. We want to stop it. And their plan is being hatched. And there is the Lord Jesus Christ on the donkey. And that donkey, nobody's ever ridden uh, that donkey before. So you can imagine... An unbroken, horse, an unbroken donkey, try putting a saddle on that and try riding that. That's pretty stupid, isn't it? Because it's going to just bolt you and throw it. But the Lord Jesus Christ was in total control, total command. And he knew exactly what he was doing. So we move on to the wider context. This is the context. There is the healing of Bartimaeus. And even in Isaiah... It says very clearly, and Bartimaeus' healing is very important, that he will give sight to the blind. He will open their physical eyes and their spiritual eyes, their heart's eyes and their mind's eyes. They will be a transformed people. Transformed in such a way that their eyes will be able to see, but not only that, their spiritual eyes will be able to see and he opened Bartimaeus' eyes. He did commit his life to becoming a follower of Jesus. And there is a lot of history around that as well. But I want to move swiftly on to my second part, the wider context. And the wider context is this. Jesus is on his way to the temple. And I find that really very exciting. I find that exciting because he's going towards the temple, towards Jerusalem, and there is only one authority in Jerusalem that he needs to go and face and address the new issues, and that is the authority of the high priest and the temple. It wasn't authority of Pontius Pilate, because that was in Rome. Caesar was in Rome. That was just a regional authority. But the main authority that Jesus had to address in the wider context was in the temple itself. And here we have Jesus bringing things to a conclusion and transforming. He's moving things on. Bring it to a conclusion and move, move it on. Now, if you remember, there are the three offices in the Old Testament, that are the anointed office, offices. One of the prophet, the second one of the high priest, and the third one of the king. Jesus was the anointed one, is the anointed one. He is the prophet, the high priest, and the king. And I want to deal with those two first ones in more detail and leave the king to the end and for another time. So he's here as the prophet. He's concluding all those prophecies that are in the Old Testament. He's not the prophet of the old where the old prophet had to listen to God's words 
and then translated it into human speak and deliver it to the people. He was the prophet himself. He was the word himself. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. John tells that very clearly. So as a prophet, the prophet, he didn't have to take anything from God because he is the word himself and he is the prophet. And he concluded all those messianic prophecies that are in the Old Testament. But what is happening here is a transformation. What is happening here is that transformation, and that involves you. It's about you. And you know what it is about you? Is Prophet Joel says very clearly, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon my manservant and my maidservant, and you all will prophesy. You are a prophetic people. You need to come into that transformation that the priest, the, 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 the prophet himself, the word himself, is saying that you are a prophetic people. Now, how do we bring that into our church? It's very clear. All we need to do is look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you will look at the gift of prophecy in the church. And Paul is saying, I urge you, it's a superior gift. You guys need it. You need it for very good reasons. And there are very good reasons are that prophecy today is needed for upbuilding, for encouragement, for consolation, consolation. So if we have issues... We need to be built up, and the Lord is encouraging us. Paul is encouraging us. The apostles are encouraging us to be transformed into a prophetic people, a people that prophesy. And everyday prophecy is needed. You know, it's the basic concept of prophecy. Yes, there are the big prophets. There is the, the tertiary prophecy still in the Bible. There are the secondary ones. There are the primary ones, but here today we need the basics of prophecy among us. And let me give you an example, which is what we explored on Thursday. Do you remember in John chapter 4, there was the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus wanted a drink of water, so he went to the well and asked for some water, and he got into a conversation, and the woman turned around, and as you know the story really well, it moves on from drink to that woman's personal life. And Jesus turns around and says to her, oh, yeah, the man you're living with at the moment is not your husband. In fact, you've been married five times before. And you know what's the response of the woman is? You must be a prophet. Those timely, correct words of prophecy is what we need as a transformed people of God, if we are going to communicate the powerful message of salvation to everybody. So very basic, very simple. And the other thing Paul talks about is in chapter four, uh, 14 is, listen to this, guys, he says, if you're all speaking in tongues and an unbeliever, somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, walks into your church, you know what they're going to think? You guys are mad. You guys are mad. But what you need to do is a prophetic people. He says, when an unbeliever walks into your church 
and you are telling the truth, those people will become convicted, understand, and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and attain salvation. So I'm not talking about the secondary prophecies or the tertiary ones. What I'm talking about is he came to Jerusalem to conclude the office of the prophet and bring in transformation that his people will become a people of prophecy, a prophetic people in the basic way, applying it every day in their church, in their community, standing in that queue, standing in the queue of getting some water out of a well and telling somebody those true words. I tell you what, if he had done that to me, I would have been really, really very angry because it was getting very personal. You're not a married person. You know, you're living with somebody. And, you know, in this day and day, it doesn't, you know, we have moved on. But then she was a shunned woman who had to go to the well in uh, midday when all the others went in the evening. None of the ladies in town would talk to her. And yet he speaks to her and she goes back and she says, wow, you're a prophet, and tells everybody about it. The next office of the high priest. And this is where I find that the Lord Jesus Christ coming on a donkey in total humbleness. He did not come to fight. He never even said a word to them when he was being challenged. In humility, he totally respected the office of the high priest. He totally respected the temple and the presence of God in that temple. But what had happened was it had gone all corrupt. It had all gone silly. The sacrifice had gone wrong. The priest office had gone wrong. But, you know, what I find fascinating is if you go to Malachi chapter 1, And look at verse 10, and this is what the prophet is saying. Oh, I wish somebody would get up and close the door on that temple. I tell you, when you read it, it makes you feel really funny. That the Lord, through prophet Malachi, was already saying, Oh, if only somebody would go into that temple and close the door because the priest has become corrupt, their sacrifices are corrupt, end it. Somebody close. And you know what? Jesus closed the door on that temple. What happened? Number one, and if you were a consultant from an organization and you were going into an organization, what happens is that, that, that is not performing really well. You'll probably go in the night before like Jesus did, went in there and went into the temple and saw nobody there, walked about and said, I'm shutting this place down. I'm closing it down. First and foremost, what I'm going to do is take their old contract away. I'm going to put a new contract in place. Amazing. The old covenant is coming to an end, and the new covenant is being put into place. Number two, I'm going to change the way they they appoint the high priest. No more Aaron's descendants, Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek, because he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, change the contract, change the boss, bring an end to the exercise of sacrifice, because this high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, was not like other high priests. That he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins, a confession, because he was without sin. All the others 
And if you remember, if these high priests went into the Holy of Holies, and if they hadn't confessed their sins and they died there, there was a little rope to pull their body out because they'd gone into the Holy of Holies, not pure. Here is Jesus, the new high priest. And you know what is fascinating about this new high priest? Not only doesn't he have to offer a sacrifice himself, he became the sacrifice for all of us. So end to the sacrificial side of the temple. Shut this down, the temple. And you know today that there is no temple on the mount. Instead, there is a large mosque on top of that one. The temple came to an end. The office of the high priest came to an end. The Sanhedrin came to an end where you went in according to Moses' law. You know, there was these clever people, lawyers who knew the word, who knew everything what Moses had said in, to do arbitration for you or judge on things for you. Remove that completely. In came the new covenant, new relationship, and grace and truth came. Amen to that. Grace and truth. So, a transformation from judgment, the curse of the law, the condemnation of the law, to grace, mercy, and forgiveness. For he became our high priest. He has taken our sins, the curses, put them on the cross for me, and transformed everything for me. But the interesting thing is, he then transformed you. You are God's temple. And Ephesians says very, very clearly, guys, we need to get a grip on this. You are living stones that are being shaped by God and being built into a temple where God's spirit can come and live. How many people will say amen to that one? Amen. amen. It's here within you, within God's people, the high priest. And what the Lord says is, I'll become the cornerstone. I'll arrange things around me. I'm your high priest. You are being, into, being built into a temple. You are being transformed. So here is a physical transformation from a temple of stones and bricks and whatever on Temple Mount to you, the spiritual temple. He's transforming you, changing you. And I find this really fascinating that when he came on that donkey, he came very humbly, very humbly. And I, you know, my own opinion is that the donkey was really very important in this, totally in control, totally in charge, goes into the temple the evening before. Everybody had gone home. And you know, on the next day, he went in like the Monday and he started cleansing the temple. But he, trans he shut it down and transferred all of that to his church today. You are the temple of the living God. You are a prophetic people. The transformation. Now, coming to the king, I believe that this is going to be Revelations 19 onwards when he comes on a horse. But he came as a royal priest, still as a king, still as a royal priest. And what I find fascinating here from him is, you know what? As a king, he went into the dirtiest of the dirtiest of the dirtiest of the dirtiest place to save people, even into a prostitute's home and save her. He 
gave up his majesty, put aside his majesty, so that he could reach all those he wanted to reach. And the transformation is here. But what he's saying to you now, and Martin preached on this several times in India, is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And I'm going to repeat the five things he said, but it is very interesting is that here the king is transferring the responsibility to you. You are a prophetic people. You are being built into his temple. You are a temple within which God's spirit lives. And he's now saying to you, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, for I am with you always. So Matthew 28, right at the end comes the great commission. That is yours. He's given you the gift of prophecy. You can stand by the well and say, actually, this is not the way it should be. This is how people will be surprised. Imagine going into your office Monday morning and you say, I know you had a fantastic weekend and you did this. Somebody say, how do you know? Well, a prophetic people. I'm belittling it, but I don't want to. But can you see the picture I'm getting at standing at that well? And he turns around and says to that, that woman. So a royal king, a royal shepherd, he left his majesty aside so that he could reach everybody. That word becoming flesh dwelling among us, that word to go to everybody, the commission is for you. You are a transformed people. You need to move forward in that one. And now I want to move to the the third part of the sermon, or the talk, is the great, the grand context. So there's the the, the immediate context, this is the wider context in which this is happening. And the, the grand context, this is that it is about Revelation 19.11. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know very well that the day of judgment is coming. That should scare us a little bit, but it should also be, but he's going to come and get me, I'm good. Because I'm in, under his blood. He's paid the debt. He's cleansed me. He's prepared me. He's walking with me so that I don't go off track and keeping me until that day, the day of judgment is coming. And everything we do, let us keep that grand context in front of us because we need to get the news of the good, the, the good, the good news out to all those people who are going to perish without knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The earth is going to be folded. All the kingdoms are going to be confronted. The rulers, everything. He will be coming on a horse this time, not a donkey, because he's not confronting the the issues of the temple. He's actually bringing things to a conclusion. So, looking at our conclusion this morning, I want to look at Peter, 1 Peter 2. If you can put that up, that would be good. Um, the verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to, 1 to 10. You know, he's telling us, in conclusion, come to him, living stones, you royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a temple. Can we? No, don't worry, I'll read it for you. 
It's uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4 that I wanted to look at. And coming to him as to a living stone rejected by, by men, but choice and precious in the spirit of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus, for Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. So you know what is happening. He's building you into a temple. He wants to, you to focus on a few things. But you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So in conclusion, you are being built into a temple. He closed one, transferred the authority, everything that was given to him, to us. You're being built into a temple. Let us look at another verse. We want to look at verse uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jean was sharing this this morning. Renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed in your thinking. He's inviting you this morning. You know, you're being built into a temple. Be transformed in your thinking. And let us look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. From the Lord the Spirit, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. So Palm Sunday, immediate context, wider context, and the grand context. But it all applies to you. The call is to you. So this week, bringing it to an end, what are you going to do? Well, let's look at Jesus' diary for the coming days. Monday morning, he goes into the temple and starts clearing things out. Maybe there are things in our own temple that need clearing out. There is clutter about we need to be built together in unity, each stone coming together, being shaped. I've got rough edges, and I want the Lord Jesus to take his chisel and take that rough edge off, bring me together into this temple so that it is fit for his purpose. So Monday, we can all look at how can we clear out the clutter in the temple. Tuesday, Mount of Olives, there he is giving instruction to his disciples. So Tuesday, you can look at that, the, 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 what he was talking to the disciples on, on, on that day. Wednesday, probably a day of rest, so I couldn't find anything in Scripture what happened, so I think Wednesday was a day of rest. So have a day of rest. But on Thursday, the Last Supper, fellowship, communion, let's get together, breaking bread together. 
But let's be humble and, and, and spiritually and metaphorically be in a position to watch each, wash each other's feet. Friday, crucifixion, anything that is not good, put it on the cross, crucify it. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and on Friday, Saturday, allow the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to work in your lives. The same spirit is at work within you. So over the next week, I'm just giving you a little diary, what to do, and come back on Sunday, and we'll all be rejoicing around the resurrection story. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead work in us. So your diary is complete. And if you like, you could read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 over those days. But let us be a transformed people, a prophetic people, a holy people, fit for God's own purpose. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we all have in this country to be able to get together and freely look at Scripture. Lord, I pray that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will continue to work among us. And as a fellowship in, in, in Walderslade, we will become a prophetic people, a temple, a holy temple, where the spirit of, the God, if spirit of God lives within us. For I ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.